0: You're listening to the Middle Ground. This week's guest: actor, director, playwright Michael Booth.
1: I wonder how many times you've been. I want to go right
0: back to the start. I actually don't know your story. I don't know how you got into acting, and I don't know how this started for you. So I guess firstly, and the question we always ask our our people on the show is like, what was the moment where you went acting, theater, that, film, whatever, that's what I want to do? Like, was it a play? Was it a film? Like, was it an experience? Like, what was it?
1: Well, um, I know I played Santa Claus when I was four at the um, at the end of year preschool Christmas pageant thing
0: okay
1: and I remember so I and I remember yeah that, that that's where I belonged being doing a show being a show-off or dressing up
0: yeah
1: um, So I, always, I, I was that way inclined definitely and um, but I think I'd started to get real like oh theater is my, my mother was an actress Oh. uh she i mean she, she let's say she is a former actress that makes it sound more that she 's still alive because she is as opposed to she was an actress and we we grew up with a you know, a movie loving family so um i uh, yeah i was it was it was natural to go that direction and from memory the a huge impact was seeing hair. I think I was 12 at the Parramatta Riverside, and it was Terry Sirio, who's um, you know, a man about on the scene to this day uh, with uh, his radio program and, um, and doing stuff. Uh, but yeah, he was the lead in hair, and that was just such an awesome musical. And he was so charismatic and entertaining that I really well, then I really wanted to do that but I didn't do much acting growing up. Like I did school plays. That's a couple, like a couple of school plays. And, um, and then, um, then I did the, after high school, I knew I wanted to pursue it. And so I did audition for the major drama schools and I did not get in. Did a, I had friends at New South Wales University. I wasn't there. I was at Sydney University studying to be a math teacher. Really? Uh, yeah. Because I like maths and I didn't want to work too hard. Like, I didn't have any desire to, to do, um, you know, a medical degree, uh, you know, a degree of of, of science or anything. Just yeah. some... And, and it t- yeah, I, look, I didn't finish the degree. I, uh, I started doing plays at uni with my friends. And that became, uh, I think I did about... Twelve plays, or fifth, yeah, about twelve plays in, in a two year period. Wow! Um, so I'd be rehearsing one and then performing one. It just it just became the thing to do, and it was so easy. It had so, such good faci- simple facilities to put on a play, um, that you could yeah you could just pick your play. You get a little budget and you put it on uh, for a, for five nights, um, and, then, and then through that I got into playwriting and directing. So I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was doing, so I was about what 19 at the time and I just got really busy, thinking, Oh, I could write, I can write. I, um, I got into writing because at the time this is early nineties and, uh, Tarantino was big on the scene and Seinfeld. Um, so I was really into writing like cool dialogue, fun, snappy repartee. Um, yeah, like banter. David Mamet was the playwright. Oliana had just come out and that was yeah. causing a, sto- a storm, a stir, and a storm. Um
0: Both at the same time.
1: At the same time. You know, the two-hander, where all the, all the words are only on the left side of the page. I love that stuff. So that really got me inspired into how simple theater can be. It's just two people talking to each other with conflicting intentions. Talking to you makes me want to kind of rap. I don't know. Um,
0: oh my god! Please rap. I'm so into that. I've
1: never, I've never rapped in my life. But you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm feeding off your vibe, man.
0: Yeah. Good. Cool.
1: <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it started, and I just got really busy with it, and I dropped out. I just decided not to pursue my maths teaching career, and uh, a little play I wrote. I um, sent into NIDA. I st- oh, by the way, I was still trying to get into NIDA in those schools and I couldn't, they wouldn't have me.
0: As an actor? I think
1: I sucked, as an actor. Right. I think I sucked back, back in the day.
0: I just can't imagine you sucking, but okay, go on.
1: Look, I'm just trying to give this drama schools the benefit of the doubt. Either they had no idea or I sucked or it was somewhere in, the, in between, or at the time it was just incredibly competitive. I just didn't make the cut either way, whatever, whatever way it actually went. I was not deterred. I was still like, I'm going to do it. And so I uh, audited, applied, sent a play, a script that I'd written, a little 15 minute play to the playwright studio at NIDR and I actually got into that. So I did that oh. part time for a year, the year after I'd quit my maths teaching dreams. And then that play, uh, I wrote a one-act play out of that course. And then a year later, that got... Uh, it fell into the hands of a Jeremy Cumpston, who at the time was running uh, Tamarama Rock Surfers and had just found a potential venue uh, downstairs at the back of this pub in Wollumaloo called the Old Fitzroy. This is in 1997. And would I be interested in, in them putting on my little one-act play with two other one act plays and I said that would be pretty cool and so that happened and that was the first show ever at the Fitz. Ever. Um ever Wow yeah. That's great. It, Yeah. Before it was like before they pulled the bar out there and and like there was a bar down in that space. So that's yeah, that was like a nice entree into the theatre scene. And one of the playwright of the other one-act one plays was um, written by Damon Harriman. Um, well, the play was written by Damon Harriman. And so we, and then we've been best buds ever since. Yeah. So that's how we met too. So, you, um,
0: so it was your play, were you guys acting in the plays too?
1: I didn't act in mine. Well, I don't know why I didn't. For some reason I chose to bow out from the acting side of things. Crazy, I don't, yeah, I I don't understand, I must've, had a good reason. I was working full time at the casino as a croupier, so I think I was just trying to make ends meet.
0: Yeah. And thought
1: no, no, you can put on my play and I don't need to be in it, but I, you know, my career might have gone a completely different way had I been in it because a lot of people saw that play and for the next Few years, I wasn't even people didn't even know of me as an actor. They said, "Oh, you're the, you're a writer," and I and I was conflicted at the time and thought, "No, no, no I want to be an actor." So I actually went off to New York a couple of years later and just did a summer program at the Atlantic. It was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. It was it was like one of the best summers ever. And yeah, I I felt home amongst the the. Well, I love New York and being feeling part of a, a theater family and uh, met some great people that are still friends to this day and and got it just mainly got inspired came back and started a little theater company and start and directed a, my first like prop play outside of university um, which was a play called spike heels which is a terrific play and we put that on at the tap gallery
0: yeah right so but when you go to New York like was it nice yeah. to sort of? I mean, you went as an actor. You went to do the acting program for summer. Right. Was it nice to be in a in a setting where people weren't going? Hey, you're the writer. Hey, you're the writer. Like, what makes you come back and then direct? Well, were you in? You were in Kills as well. So you did that right? No, I wasn't in it. You directed.
1: So I what just makes directed. You
0: come, so what makes you come back to Sydney and not act?
1: That's an excellent question. Well because i wasn't comfortable putting my directing and acting and i just wanted to see the show go on my desire was to get a play on yeah that was the desire. no one else was going to put on a play so i i did yeah with two of my um co-students from new york uh nadia townsend and larissa Poulos, who was training there that summer so they were in the play i directed them and then we cast a couple of other fellas by this point, I'd probably forgotten I was a writer anyway because I'm, I'm, I'd procrastinated. I hadn't written anything else for three years uh, except a short film. I made a little short film about six months before I went to New York. That was my foray into filmmaking, and I kind of got a nice taste of that, a little, little truck fest film. Didn't get in. So mm.
0: what was your favourite part of New York? And I asked that because I've had – we've. I've, I think every single person I've interviewed has been like, and they've, they've all gone to New York actually, which is interesting. Um, they've all said, "Yeah, like New, like the program was great, but the best part of New York, I learnt the most in this thing that had nothing to do with acting. It yep. was it like Atlantic. That was what I I learnt my shit there."
1: Well, it's been um, it's been uh, almost eighteen years since I was there, since that trip, and I would say. I'm probably to, to answer your question, what's the hot, what was the best thing about it? Is now kind of caught up with nostalgia. So I'm just going to say the smell and the heat. <laughs> There's a the heat, you don't have that kind of dry heat uh, that's inescapable on you know, that is Manhattan. It's so flat, it's concrete. Every now and then I might get a feeling, a feel, uh, a gust of wind that's hot, and it'll take me right back. Yeah. So that that was part of the experience so that and the same with the smell it's not a pleasant smell but it's unique to new york and uh anyway nostalgically speaking that's that's what i take away but other than that it's a place where you feel feel that you can reinvent yourself no one judges you there's so many characters there that that you can be whoever you want to be
0: do you ever get that feeling in australia or not really
1: not really no. not no um, not to that extent <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just not as wild and kooky as as New York you know I've always gravitated to the inner west of Sydney Newtown and I feel there's kind of a you see more of diverse characters if yeah. you will from you know just artistic people homeless people I get it's taste of that being in the inner west of Sydney. So,
0: okay, so after Spike Heels, is that where, so when you say you made a theatre company, is it the theatre company that still stands today?
1: Um, No, we lasted about three months. We did (laughs) Spike Heels, and then we, at the Tap Gallery.
0: That did quite well though, didn't it?
1: It did very well, and then we got picked up, um, we did it again at the Old Fitzroy. Um, So that pattern of me doing a play at the Tap, and then a play at the Old Fitz, seems to continue to this day. Yeah, I've done that. We've made that little le- jump many times. Yeah, me, uh, Nadia, and Larissa, who were the company was called Wolf Whistle, by the way, we just didn't really, I forget now, we just kind of like, we just didn't do anything after that together. Wow. I just don't think it was the right marriage. Okay. It just wasn't the right marriage, I think. Yeah, a year later, I started another company with my friend Amos Zeps, who I'd met back at the New South Wales union. We'd actually done a couple of plays or a play together then. Uh, that's sort of four, four or five years earlier. Uh, and he he felt like a partner in crime. So that that's why, in fact, he, he... I kind of skipped over that part. Partly why I went to New York and partly why I didn't mind not going to NIDA was I'd start hanging out with this Amos guy who to me was some freak genius actor who was so dedicated and heavily hardcore into Stella Adler and Uta Hagen's training uh, and re- I, I, I just tried to soak it up yeah. from him, uh, he taught me a lot uh, about what how to be, what, what, what it really means to be true in the moment and interesting and detailed and unique and charismatic and specific and that changed my life and I was seeing stuff that he was doing that I wasn't seeing coming out of drama schools. So that's why, that was what inspired me to go to New York. And then, in, and then of course, what inspired me to disband Wolf Whistle. I'm sure Nadia and Larissa have their own version of that. But, and then start another company with Amos, right. which we called the Group Theatre, which was completely ripping off the original Group Theatre's name from the 1930s in America so we used their name as an homage to them yeah. without saying the new or the Sydney group theatre. We just went with the group theatre. We figured not enough people know the name to kick up a stink. And, and for those who do know the name would probably not kick up a stink. They'd appreciate the gesture. As far as I know, nobody kicked, kicked up a stink.
0: Do you, when, so when do you start like acting, acting? Like when do you get an agent and when do you start? You mean, or, or were you still just like theater, theater, theater? Like,
1: good question. I should, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have an agent, and I was kind of intimidated by that side of the business. I was like, oh well, I just want to get on the board stage and just do it. I don't have, I didn't have a business sense. I didn't have a yeah headshot. Ch- I did have a, an agent once around that time, maybe didn't really go anywhere. I didn't have an agent till I was twenty six and I'd just done another, I'd done a couple of plays with Amos uh, as the group theater, and he was represented uh, at the time with Lisa Mann, and so she, the agent, um, who also represented, and still does, um, Damon Herriman. So uh, I'd applied to her, because I'd been in a play, and uh, I think something of the fits, and uh, she'd come to that and said, oh look, let me just just get in touch next time you're in something. And then I was again six months later. I was in another play with Amos. She came to that. We talked. We had an interview. The rest is history. But um, and then only then did I start to go up for like castings for commercials and things like that. But yeah, to me, I'd been acting for uh, six years without an agent <laughs> yeah. and not even pers- with no pursuit of the industry whatsoever. just happily putting on a play or two a year and, and probably out of my lack of drive in that department might've been purely out of fear and like, you know, oh, am I not really hanging with the big boys or purely out of devotion to the arts artistic side and being quite happy and stimulated that way. Probably a bit of both.
0: Too much pressure or devote too much energy to that. Because I just know there's people in my life who sort of are like, well, well if I don't have an agent, I can't do anything. What's the yeah. point of doing me anything until I have an agent? Or I'm just going to do this show so an agent can come, which to me I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't think that's enough of a reason to do a show. Like, it's hard to do a show.
1: Yeah. Well, I wouldn't do a show for an agent. I treated everything I do as not a means to an end. It's the end. The whole time during this time I was quite happy um, managing a cinema. It just, it suited me fine. It, it, it probably wasn't so gung-ho ambitious. So like, Well, I get to put on my plays and I get to watch movies. And I hang out with really awesome people who are still my best friends. So that, that was part of it, you know. But then that didn't last forever. Well, I just started getting little gigs here and there. Get spot on, packed to the rafters and, you know, bits here. Not much, not much, nothing sustainable long-term. I still had, uh, yeah, side jobs.
0: When did you go to
1: Chicago? That's the bit I skipped. I first heard about Steppenwolf maybe when I was a teenager because I liked John Malkovich. Around the time that, you know, I was talking about Tarantino and Mammoth, Malkovich was a big deal as well. Yeah. And 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 Joan Allen. So this is all nine... These people were sort of bursting into the cinema. Like Joan Allen did The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis and they came out of Steppenwolf. So I, I knew about Steppenwolf and then I'd seen one of the... Defining moments for me in terms of theatre was set when I was 17 and saw on some Sunday afternoon SBS screening of Sam Shepard's True West with John Malkovich and Gary Sinise and I thought it was extraordinary. I'd never seen, like, it's so dynamic what Malkovich particularly was doing. It was crazy and and I wanted to act like that. So I actually went, went to Chicago two years after Atlantic and did the summer school there. I did my little bit in New York, and when oh, I'm going to go back, a friend of mine from the Atlantic did the did Stepwolf the following year, and he he raved about, it and I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that, uh, and that very much cemented that I am home in the theatre. That's probably what it was. That's probably why I didn't pursue an agent, because I was so inspired. The Chicago mentality, because if you think about it. These guys, they're not on the coast. They're not New York and they're not LA. And so not, people in that town aren't scrambling around, you know, with their headshots and they're doing their thing. And there's not that sort of desperation. It's like, no, we're here to fucking put on a play, man. There's a sort of a chilled out feeling and a support and a community that is not as, as ambitious to get somewhere. It's like, we're already here, dude. And that's what Steppenwolf was. Steppenwolf, I was inspired because they had built this, they were just actors around the age of 20, 21 at university who wanted to put on plays. And that's what I was doing. So I thought, well, that's exactly, and it just reinforced the play is the thing. So you don't have to do anything else. So that now I've just explained to myself why I didn't have an agent for so long and didn't care. It wasn't laziness.
0: That's right. Uh, (laughs) How did you transition when you came home? And I only ask that because I I personally, when I came back from Japan, from Suzuki's company, I found it really hard to transition. And I would try and implement that community here. And it was sort of okay for a while, but then you inevitably hit roadblocks because we just simply don't have the community here. And that we're not in that philosophy a lot of people around us aren't. So like, how did you handle that? And what are your, what are your tips and ways to protect yourself? Because it's inevitable. It's like post-show blues, but kind of worse because it's like philosophical.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I came back and went straight into putting on a play. I picked, David Mamet, there is that Mamet guy again. Sexual perversity in Chicago. So clearly, I didn't want to give up on Chicago. My f- my f- fellow students at Steppenwolf had formed formed a theatre company that summer, but and called the Gift Theatre Company, run by a guy named Michael Patrick Thornton, yeah, who was my buddy that year. I'd actually said I would stay in Chicago and work with them, and I, I yeah, they asked me to, and I said yes. And then I think I just, I I went to Europe, I had made a short film and uh, and in the two weeks I was away, I got really homesick and I couldn't, didn't want to face no money, no job, no visa. I went, you know what? I'm going home. I went home and that could have been the biggest sliding doors moment of my career and life. To this day, I think they were a little, maybe a little bit disappointed because I said I would, but... I hit the ground running and formed That's when I formed the group theater
0: Right. and we
1: put on sexual perversion in Chicago. And I said, well, I'd rather, I'm happy to do in Sydney, what those, my friends are doing in Chicago. And so within a couple of maybe, yeah, by December, it was on, just get the rights, find a venue. In those days we hide out downstairs Belvoir, got no money, just put on a credit card, trust you'll pay it up. Like people will come. I'm a big fan of field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And they did. So I didn't have that's that was the transition and that was the beginning of 2002 and then I that year I it was I decided it was time to write another play. That play was, you know I just lip lip read you there, I couldn't hear you, but I know you said and what was that play? That play was called Smell the Roses, a two-hander with all the writing on the left side of the page. <laughs> yeah about a therapist, a female therapist and her male patient. The male patient was a bit of a having marital problems, but he had fallen in love with the therapist. She, of course, suggested that was transference uh, and wasn't real, but he was so convinced that it was real, it became a battle about him trying to seduce his therapist and, and her being pressed to break professional boundaries. And we did that the following year. At uh, downstairs Belvoir again as a as a as a double bill with another play that I acted in that time. So because I was keen to do some acting.
0: So I get what I want to know, and I think is really important for actors to know. And I think your story is awesome because I think well, I certainly felt this when I met you. I was like, oh, Boothies just must have like gone to acting school and gotten an agent immediately and been working, working, working. Like people just make assumptions, right? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome to hear your story because it's like you go the back way, and that's totally okay and almost preferable, right? Yeah. So obviously, but there are times where there's like dry spells, or you know, you work heaps and then nothing. You work heaps and then nothing. What yeah. do you do? What do you do in those times? Like, how do you stay active? How do you not lose faith? How do you not spiral?
1: Yeah. Well, I always, I, I think I've always had to have a project on, always. I think the longest I've gone without some semblance of a project in motion has been about oh, two weeks. And that that's like, oh, what am I going to do now? Oh, I should actually get back to writing that thing that I've been sitting, whatever it is. I feel very lost if I'm not doing something. So I did this play, uh, sorry, this TV series called Wonderland. Yeah. And um, when I auditioned for that, for a regular role on a series and felt very good about the audition and that audition came a couple of weeks after i'd audited larry moss and i had a kind of a kick in the pants about putting in a little bit of extra effort into script analysis for a scene and it paid off and for the first time ever i quit the day job and could could support myself indefinitely as an actor it was a good feeling and i was only 36 something that william h macy who was a guest speaker at atlantic when we were there he said it takes it takes t- about 20 years to learn how to act really well and a lot of you won't be in here doing it in 20 years mm-hmm. and that 20 years is not up yet so i feel like oh i'm still i'm still yet to graduate into the rank of like exceptionally good so I, that keeps me inspired that attitude
0: i love that because then it's like a consistent apprenticeship and it's not it is. i think it's hard right now because i've particularly like our generations i feel like we're the two-minute noodle generation i had a movement teacher who would always say that to me you're the two-minute noodle generation like you want everything now and you don't do any work yeah. for it yeah and it's like you're not comfortable doing work for it because you're taught by me social media or the news or whatever that you don't have time you have time
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, when I, the thing that really uh, affected me was uh, when I was in, Steppenwolf um, was watching this uh, teacher actor Austin Pendleton do Uncle Vanya at the time and to this day, probably the best thing I've ever seen. And certainly his acting just was exactly the kind of acting that I'd always dreamed of seeing or doing and he was doing it and it was so beautiful and simple and wonderful yeah. and he was 60, 61 at the time. And I thought, wow, I'm watching a master actor, a master. And I thought, if I could be 61 and that good, I'd be happy. That's a life that's a life devoted to this thing. So I felt like, well, okay, the pressure's off. And I asked Austin, like, when you know, specific questions about his performance. How did you have you know that moment? How did you play know to play it like that and so simple? And he, he kind of just smiled and said, Oh, Boothie, I mean, I didn't get that until I was well into my 40s, probably not even into my 50s before that penny dropped. You know, don't worry. You know, you're fine. Yeah. So I kind of have had that attitude as well that, look, if things are, I mean, to be, yeah, to be 35 and still not to be able to quit your day job, to some that would be suicidal, like depressive. Like, what am I doing with my life? And I had those moments, but what's driven me is that I've just always been obsessed with acting on a philosophical and scientific, trying to understand this craft thing. It's fascinating.
0: I think it's important to talk about this, Julie, the moment, arts funding cuts and like I totally get the argument that oh, we should still be putting stuff on but I personally think you know younger generations coming up cellularly inevitably they're gonna think that making art and putting plays on is stupid or second-rate because of the government's cutting money and we're not doing like yeah. you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's inevitable so why in your opinion is theatre important?
1: Well. It, I, there's something about it being so immediate that I, I think is will can't be replaced. If yeah. someone is in the same room with you, uh, that that has a a, a a galvanizing and organic feeling that that uh, no medium other medium can can provide. Yeah. Look, as far from my, where I'm coming from and the kind of work that I've done, theatre being topical has always been a thing. I had for generally speaking about theatre, but not never necessarily something for me, you know. I think when theatre is good, it's just better than any other medium. It rocks your world and you never forget it. It becomes a moment in your life, like, I remember that night I saw that play. Uh, and, and a lot of people who don't go to the theatre have that same experience when it's good. You know they're not regular theatre goers, but doesn't mean that when, when if they would still like it if they saw something that was good. And there'll never be a shortage of actors wanting to to, to act on stage. It's the best medium to act in, I think. The writing's always better. I mean, not, not always, but generally, you know, you get to you get to act unbroken. The scenes go for twenty minutes. There's no cuts. There's no repeats. It's it's you get rehearsal time. It's yeah. There's nothing, it just, there's nothing better. What Um, do
0: you think is the biggest challenge facing actors now? Coming, the ones coming through, the ones who go, I want to be an actor and they're like 17.
1: That's a great question. Mm. Well, to me, the biggest challenge for me personally has always been confidence uh, or Mm self-confidence. Just believing that like you, you, if you want to be an actor, and I encourage everyone who says they even thinking about being an actor. I'd say go for it, Bec- you know, because it, I think everyone should do something creative and f- explore nice. who they are. That's you've only got one shot in life and um if you were here on this earth 70 you know years give or take and didn't explore who you are to your fullest potential, I feel like well, that's a shame because unless you believe in reincarnation, that's that was that was your opportunity and you didn't do it. So I'm always just so in terms of, okay, your question, what's the biggest challenge? Yeah, I still think the challenge is fear, self-doubt. Mindset. Mindset. The biggest challenge would be with the bombardment of, of YouTube and what have you, I think there'd be f- bad role models. I don't think actors should aspire to be good-looking and glamorous and with so much fame being the thing, it would. I think it's going to be damaging for for a lot of people who who might not think they could be an actor because they look a certain way Mm -hmm. perhaps that's the other beauty about theater and thinking focusing on that kind of work it doesn't matter what you look like you don't have to be have the right cheekbones to be a great theater actor I was always a little self-conscious about my cheekbones and you know just uh kind of well it's very probably why I always have sideburns and beards it's fun my, my face is like mr. potato head you can put, change it around and make other characters out of it but anyway yeah I guess that's a challenge to be seduced by nowadays more and more actors going to LA there's this uh, it's easy to do self tapes pilot season not that I'm now that may seem like more opportunity right? Yeah. But I can only speak for myself. I never ha- I've never gone to LA. I've never aspired, had any interest in going to LA. And I think I got that from the Chicago attitude. And I might have had a success had I done that. But I feel very happy that I've always been in love with acting and with theatre and cinema. And I didn't, didn't necessarily fall out of love with it. And so it's just very important to know, to be in love with it, I think that's key. You must be treat it like a marriage and be a good spouse. Don't don't just say what can acting do for me, but what can I do for acting? And understand your your ambition and and hopefully it's something other than fame.
0: I mentioned earlier that you directed the best play I've seen all year or last year. Well, last year. I'm losing track of time. Yeah,
1: in the in the all year in the last twelve months.
0: In the last twelve months, you directed the best play I've ever seen and you wrote it too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I co-wrote it. with my my buddy alistair who i run the theater company with
0: and what's your theater company now
1: cathode ray tube
0: and where did that name come from
1: i saw a production of the great gatsby at the sydney theater um it was called gats did you see that or hear about it
0: yeah yeah i
1: did it was amazing i thought it was brilliant it was the entire text of F. Scott Fitzgerald's book with nothing was adapted. It was the entire novel performed. So it went for seven and a half hours. Yeah. it worked. The company who put it on were call are called Elevator Repair Service. And yeah, I, ha- they,
0: I was still in Brisbane, but they brought it to Brisbane. Oh, okay. Festival. Yes, I did see it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. It was cool. And it was cool yeah. in Boston. I don't know if you could do it in Sydney, but you could go out, get your cup of coffee, come back in. Like, oh, nice. Yeah, it was cool.
1: Well, I was just thought, what a weird, like, what I don't know what elevator repair service is yeah. that. I assume they just took that as a random name. Maybe there was a reason for it. I like the idea of having a name that had no meaning necessarily to a, uh, to be a theatre company. It just sounded good. I mean, a cathode ray tube is is the is the television. It's the component of the television, the old television, before Plasma and LCD and what, what Ellie, whatever. The tube. Why do we call it YouTube? Because it's the tube when well, I'm watching the tube, which is why they used to be so fat. But that has no meaning on why. I just thought sort it of sounded cool. Like a band. I was thinking more, because we're thinking of being, a, like, we're like a band. There's only three of us. And I felt, well, we should name ourselves, like, I don't, what is REM as a band? Rapid Eye Movement. It just sounds, you too. Yeah. It's just. These band names don't necessarily have... have, Maybe they do, but I... So, honestly, it's probably a disappointing answer. It's like, the name has no meaning, but it coincides with the dying out of that television. You can't even... Those TVs can't even... You can't sell them. They're scrap. So, maybe it's it's also a tribute. No, I'm just making that up. But... It sounds good.
0: <laughs> so the play was thirty three. Yeah, it's like just rocked my world. I couldn't shut up about it. I told everyone to come, and I think I posted it on Facebook about twenty eight thousand times for everyone to go and see it. Well, um,
1: that was yeah. so lovely of you.
0: <laughs> Didn't you see it? Well, you like stop tagging me? I get it. Like it's my play. I know. <laughs> Where did the inspiration for that come from because what I loved about it is like I just felt so uncomfortable the whole time It was yeah. really like going to a, a really awkward birthday party. Yeah, and getting too drunk like I felt drunk I wasn't even I had like one drink that night And I was like I feel really tense and anxious and like I don't want to be at this party like fuck this party but also there were some points where I was like Oh my God, I'm loving being fly on the wall right now. So was that, was it from an actual party you went to or a couple of parties?
1: Actually, no. The year we did that, we did 33 in 2011. Mm. Now the year before that, I'd written a play called That Old Chestnut and that was set in a restaurant for the most part. It was two couples who go to a restaurant and one had had an affair had cheated on his wife and it was really like a cross purposes, super, very realistic potboiler that pulled an audience in, but was very simple and played on the hyper naturalism of it, Uh, which has always been my brand and always my interest in theater that it's, it feels very real and it feels very spontaneous without losing any of the power of the stakes of the drama. In fact, I always think the more real it is, the higher the drama because you know, if you do something very real and there's a UFO in it, then that's going to be extraordinary. Oh, my God, there's a UFO. But if it's sort of stylized and there's a UFO, go yeah, well, you know, it, it suits the style. I don't know if that made sense. but yeah, So we wanted to... And we had a great team. There was me and Alistair and Jessica Wren. And it was a four-handed or a five-handed doing that Who smoke? We just wanted to work, again, the same cast, essentially.
0: Yeah.
1: And so we, we decided to write a play for the actors who are in it and something simple and real that could be really juicy like the restaurant. I think we just came up with an idea of maybe just a party play, which I don't know, felt like doing a check off because you know, three sisters opens. It's just a party, a birthday party, people standing around very simple. You can do it in one set, you know, doing it. It's set in a living room. So I think, I think that's where the ideas came from for the concept or the, the premise. And then what happened was, well, we knew like the shit has to hit the fan. And so we had, I think Alistair came up, the characters, very simple sort of broad strokes, character descriptions. We assigned those characters to each actor. I said, well, look, you're going to want, you've got to want something specific from each of the other five characters. So what is your want for each of the other five? What is your, and what is your, I think, subconscious want for each of the other five? So that's 10 wants per Per actor. There's six, So we had 60 wants, all crisscrossing each other, you know, oh, I want, she's in love with this guy, but she's never told him, but he's actually married to her, so she wants to be friends with the wife and, not, and on her good side, but wants him to notice her. Something like that. And then just play that out. We kind of improvised it a little bit, but then we just wrote the script based on that.
0: Oh, so all the actors were in the space improvising, and then you wrote around it. We,
1: we did a little, I, yeah, look, um, my memory's a bit foggy, but it, it was, yeah. we didn't do much formally improvising, but I think we maybe talked it out, played it out, just, for, or at least they came, they brought in what their wants were to would be. And it just sort of then it almost wrote itself. So Alice there went away and we fleshed out of a draft and then tweaked it over a few months. And then it was on at the famous tap gallery.
0: What I love about it is I feel like it's quite universal. So how was the response in 2011 in comparison to 2016?
1: Very, like in terms of its themes and you say universal, definitely.
0: I just feel like it's something you could pick up like in any year and it would still... Just be relevant 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 relevant
1: like definitely i think the themes are uh are, are universal they're they're talking about getting older and marriage and responsibilities and work and drinking too much and and i think it was very rela- universal and relatable because we we the characters were very well some were based on people we know right maybe of the original actor or uh friends we know so I, we were determined that these were not. we're not commenting on these characters. We're not, we're not making a comment on the characters, which is a key, key thing. It's, I think it's a fundamental mistake that a lot of actors do, particularly in Australian films and whatnot, is you can see that they know the character from the outside and making a comment. Oh, this person's a bogan. It's called, that's called satire has its place, but you can't do that in drama. And so the play is not a satire, yeah. definitely not. But people are familiar with that behavior. Nothing, ha- nothing in the play has not happened in our lives. That's for sure.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, I loved it. And I just wish that I was seeing more stuff like that because it was life. Like I felt genuinely uncomfortable. I felt, yeah. and I could relate to all of them and, and every single one of them, I know one of them. I have of them in my life which is so cool and I'm sure Mm -hmm. and what I loved and I loved like playing with the space because I only saw it once which is devastating I really wanted to sit on the other side
1: yeah well that was that was a gift and that certainly was different this time around
0: because the other one was theater like traditional the other
1: one was theater but still the other like the thing about cathode ray tube is that we didn't have a formal director it wouldn't have it the, we would we, we would market everything as not having a director
0: right okay interesting why
1: well because i don't like I, i've got i've got issues with authority i don't <laughs> Well, this way I could be direct and be in it, I, and well, I didn't. I didn't. I won't say that I directed the thing, but I we could direct it together without one singular person's vision for it. It was our vision. We wrote the thing. We conceived it. We're putting it on. It's. It's. We're treating ourselves like a band. We don't. We don't have one person conducting us. So in the tap gallery space, it still had a. There was a looseness to it. This is a show about people getting drunk. It. It was messy. It should feel it. It should have felt to the audience like, is this is this scripted? Is this directed? Or are they just like up there getting drunk? And I wanted people to think we're actually getting drunk because it's just so. Yeah, that idea of it's rock and roll theater. Anything goes. This is we're at the tap galley. It didn't cost us a huge budget to put this thing on. This is about people misbehaving. Let's get up there and misbehave yeah. in the context of the place. So it was it had a real wildness to it yeah. and uh i think we can this time around at the fits i think it continued that wildness by virtue of the new venue um that you were just fly on the wall and then i because i was directing i could just sit it out uh and just a uh, had a perfect cast i thought yeah. Those guys did such an amazing job, and they are amazing. To understand, this has to be spontaneous. There, nothing, nothing's preset. Well, I mean, it's all preset, but nothing behaviourally has is locked in. You know.
0: And now you're directing it for film. That's super exciting.
1: Oh uh, yeah, that's tremendously exciting. It uh, it it seemed it was actually like a logical next step, and particularly. If the, none of the actors have skipped town and it's all set in one location, just transfer the play as we did it into a house and film it. That's in essence what what there is to it. It's yeah. It's it's we're just getting ready to to do that in the next five weeks. So it's soon. We're, yeah, it's soon.
0: It's really we we're going to
1: do it like last year, like like within a few within a few weeks of finishing the show. Yeah. But that just wasn't practical, and there was Christmas. But the idea, like, quick, whilst, whilst the actors, it's like just doing another run in a different venue. That's the idea. So, yeah, that's why it's soon. It's very exciting.
0: So have you always taught? And if not, like, why, what's the pull now to teach? And what's, what are your big things that you want to give to younger actors because i've heard nothing but amazing things about your classes and i've like kind of worked with you as a teacher in a non-formal setting yeah and i really enjoyed it so i would love to hear what your philosophy is when you're teaching
1: well i i I first dabbled in teaching a class uh nine nine years ago and uh that's because i've been formed like i said earlier i'm obsessed with I think about acting a lot thing this crazy old thing called acting and what makes, what, what makes some people better than other people. You know, people can come from different drama schools. Someone went to NIDA, someone went to Whopper, and one's not, you know, someone's better than others. And so, well, well, well if they're learning different or the same thing, why does one person stand out over their classmates? Because I refuse to think that it's all about talent and luck and what Uh, Has led me to really be compelled to teach is that I started formulating my own ways of explaining what acting is that uh, And I really worked hard on being articulate about Because I have a desire when I speak to anyone about anything. I usually have a desire for people to get it I was the guy in the maths class where my friend beside me was scratching their head and I go Oh, no, what 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 he was saying was this and like it's just a different way of explaining it clarifying I I get a kick out of that I love seeing the penny drop and with acting a penny drop for me about how what we are actually doing when we are communicating on stage or in in, in acting what what we're actually doing and what it means to be affecting the other person so that they are listening to you when you speak and that you are not not acknowledging that they are listening to as you speak uh, there is an organic exchange going on. It's an energy. So when the stakes go up and the dialogue is actually quite juicy, it's palpably dramatic without you having to do any acting. Yeah. Uh, and I've sort of expanded on that. It's really, really, really simple. I, I'm actually just starting to f- sneak my own approach into my classes. I think I need more time to, to like as in a longer course, for it to have a, to have its full uh, potentially potential realized I'm just very excited that it has a lot of potential we could get a lot of, I just want there to be more good act there to be more good acting and I think Mistakes actors can make I think can be sometimes simply remedied yeah, and it yeah. doesn't mean their talent is no they're not talented It's just like oh you're doing this thing, you know, if you didn't do that thing you'd be fine mm-hmm. And the, you know that kind of thing without going into specifics compelled
0: I really love you say you're working against that thing of talent and luck like i love that so much because i really i truly believe that that just fucks so many particularly younger actors up because they just think and it's getting back to that whole oh i'm not pretty enough i don't look a certain way yeah getting into that territory too it's so important that we have people like you really working against that yeah being the other the truth yeah (laughs) telling the truth
1: yeah and I, look you 've got to stick it out like I, I think William H. Macy was right. there is luck in your career as an actor, but i don 't think luck means that it, it it will or it won't happen it's just luck just means when when will it happen for some it's sooner than than later. I was a roulette dealer, right I know a lot about probability that 's what luck is. If you put your number on thirty five black eventually it will come up right eventually it will come up it 's just a matter of time, and if you 're a good actor. Eventually you will get noticed for it. I'm I'm convinced of that. I I don't know a great actor Who has disappeared into obscurity because they never got their moment Unless they gave up too soon and it's a matter of just lengthening that idea of what too soon is, you know And I think 20 years is reasonable. If you're willing to give this a 20-year shot I think your luck will come inside of that 20 years. In fact, I promise it (laughs)